VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM. HD2 Baltimore. Happy Hump Day, folks. It's Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent. Thank you for tuning in. The president looking like he's going to get on board with that bipartisan deal, but he also says that he's not going to give up trying to get more money. Remember that a bipartisan deal only has about $1.37 or so billion to fund the wall, plus an additional billion or so on humanitarian aid. As well as to keep the beds, remember the beds issue? They're going to keep the ice beds issue at the same level as in the past. But how does President Trump plan to get more money? He tweeted out last night he wants $23 billion. We've got an all-star panel to help navigate through the bottom line of the budget as the clock ticks down to Friday. Maddie Zuppler is senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former Coalitions Director for the House Republican Conference, and Andrew Feldman is a Democratic strategist uh, and founder of Feldman Strategies. All of that, plus Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, the Democratic Congresswoman. She's, well, had an interesting day up on Capitol Hill. We'll get their take on that and the ongoing trade negotiations between the U.S. and China. But first, it's all about the shutdown. It's hump day. The president has to sign some type of of government funding bill by Friday in order to avert a government shutdown. I was at the White House uh, this morning uh, and earlier, the president meeting with the Columbia delegation, uh, uh, talking about a host of different things of our trade relationship with Colombia. But, of course, he was also asked about keeping the government open. And this deal, when I talk to Republicans, conservatives in particular, they're not too happy with it because, remember, the president originally pitched this as saying he wanted $25 billion, $25 billion for the wall. Then we had the shutdown and the trade negotiations, a 35-day partial government shutdown and whatnot. And that number was reduced to about $5.6, $5.7 billion with the hopes of getting money through different other revenue sources. Now, this bipartisan group of lawmakers, including Senator Richard Shelby, a Republican from Louisiana, they've got that. Uh, number down to about $1.37 billion for 55 miles along a 2,000-mile plus. Only 50, 
I mean, the president campaigned on build the wall, and it's like 2,000 miles down at the U.S.-Mexico border, and this budget is only going to give him 55 miles, uh, which is not a lot of wall, Maddie Dupler. Okay, Kevin, here's how Republicans bank this as a win, though, because if you look at the Republican position, yes, the president's talked a lot about mileage and billions of dollars and what would satisfy his wall demand, but Democrats were saying that the wall was immoral. They were saying not one dollar for the wall. So if Republicans are smart, what they do now is they take this as a win because Republicans on Capitol Hill know a shutdown benefits no one. The president may disagree on that, but seasoned Republicans know that they do not win a shutdown fight. They take this vote and then they go after Democrats who are now on record. You get Democrat fingerprints on not only wall funding, but on border security measures that the president himself has endorsed. So that's Maddie Dupler. She's with us for the hour, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference, where I used to, like, text Loiter. you yeah, and tweet and be <laughs> like, what's going house. on? What's going on? Uh, she's with us for the hour. She's going to give us all the lowdown on, on some of those uh, House races, in particular, Andrew Feldman, Democratic strategist. But, Andrew, so to Maddie's point, a lot of these districts, it, and look, Democrats won back the majority in 2018 in the midterms. But a lot of these districts, particularly in Texas, for example, these are not Democrats who don't want – I mean it's not like they're saying we don't want any security at the at the border. So it, it, does Maddie have a point here or no? Look, I think that this is a huge win for Democrats, right? $1.3 billion is less than what we were talking about before the shutdown, right? So that's a huge, a huge victory. I mean and, and also I think we do want – Smart security measures like we've been talking about that. We've been talking about how we need more drones. We've been talking about uh, you know, a lot of these a lot of these important issues. And the president's been fixated on this wall. I don't think that this is uh, him achieving a campaign promise at all. But the other thing is yesterday, I'm sure you saw El Chapo was put away. Right. El Chapo found guilty. The number one way he brought drugs into this country was through tunnels. And the wall does nothing about that. So I I think that's true. But your point of technology is a good one, because that is the debate we didn't get to have during the shutdown, because both sides were so intransigent. It's interesting to me, the conference committee that worked out this deal, it's pretty emblematic of kind of the the right and left wings of the party. You've got basically New England Democrats in the form of Nita Lowy, who's the appropriations chairwoman, um, and it's escaping me now who on the Senate side was uh, the negotiator. Uh, no, Richard Shelby is the Republican. Yeah, so the Republican, Republican, you've got Southern Republicans. You've yeah. got Alabama and Texas with, Tay, with Kay Granger. Isn't I mean, these, Leahy? Leahy, thank yeah. you. So you so, See, I'm good for something, Maddie and Andrew. <laughs> I know my stuff is quiz later, Kevin. Yeah, but, but, but look, like, these are like, – you get the New England Democrats and you get the Southern Republicans. There are not more two groups of people who would be more dug in on kind of the party politics on this than those sorts of groups of people. And they were able to find an agreement, which indicates to me both chambers are going to be able to get this across the finish line. I want to play for you both what President Trump said at the White House earlier today in terms of whether or not he's pumped up as, or, or hyped up for this, for this deal. Take a listen. We've got a lot of funds for a lot of other things, but with the wall, they want to be stingy. But we have uh, options that uh, most people don't really understand. Andrew, are you guys being, are Democrats being stingy? 
<laughs> not at all. I think the president doesn't understand his options, right? I think that this I mean, I, this will end up in court if he is going to try the national emergency route, which is probably what his advisors um, are, are telling him. But he could do something else, right? I mean, right. he doesn't have to just declare a national emergency. It, we Army know Corps of Engineers. Yeah, Mick right? Mulvaney has been looking under the couch cushions oh, for money <laughs> for this border wall. Where could he look? Actually, let's not, let's dive into the weeds. For you the know, sound I, I, that still remains to be a question. I think that Army Corps of Engineer, which has always been a uh, a source of frustration for Republicans who feel that they need to take back the reins on spending, that has always been considered a little bit of an executive slush fund. So I think that that certainly is the first place that uh, Donald Trump would look if he was hoping to do so. I know there's a a lot of um, Milcon VA and DOD spending out there that the president thinks that he might be able to use for this. The optics of that are somewhat precarious. I would caution the president if he decides to uh, look for spending that has not been appropriated for this purpose. Uh, if you start taking that away from military families, I certainly would not want to be the politician defending that. They're going to build a wall of pork. They're going to build the wall out of pork, But the Andrew. biggest, the biggest, the funniest thing is that he is supposed to be the master deal maker, the art of the well, deal. Well, this is this a is, deal th- looking under couch cushions. But, <laughs> but this is just, I mean, just think about it. 1.3 billion, 55 uh, miles of wall compared to 1.5 and 65 yeah. before the shutdown. Maddie, I, I got to be honest. I mean, when you talk to a conservative, you know this. Mm-hmm. When you talk to your Republican friends, I mm-hmm. mean, to Andrew's point, 55 miles. We got mm-hmm. less than a minute before we got to. Before we got to move on. But, I mean, 55 miles is not. Here's the thing about Trump. You love him or hate him. The guy is Teflon. If he decides to go to the base and sell this as a win, he can do it. It's a question of whether or not he decides to take that gamble. Now, something that's interesting, Gallup came out with a new poll today. President's opinion uh, number is at 44%, up seven points from January at the height of the shutdown. That could be a problem for any of us who think that this process is moving forward. That may embolden the president. Well, I think that, that, may have, that, may have been, that may have been the State of the Union speech. All right. Panel stays, Maddie Dupler, Republican strategist, and Andrew Feldman, Democratic strategist. Never a dull moment with you two. Coming up, <laughs> we talk China and U.S. trade policy. Secretary Mnuchin and Bob Lighthizer are en route to Beijing. Remember, you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, as well as Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. And you can also check us out on Radio.com and on iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, folks, it's almost Valentine's Day. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back, folks. Friendly reminder, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so if you are driving home from work, please, please don't forget to call mom. Okay, uh, busy, busy day up on Capitol Hill. We have an all-star panel helping us navigate through the developments of the day. Maddie Dupler is a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, as well as the former coalition's director for the House Republican conference and maddie also an appleton wisconsin cheese curd that's native. right that's right i'm a, a an expert in all things cheese curds and in appleton so you were telling me that appleton you don't fry them but in Wis- in wisconsin no that's more of a minnesota thing minnesota, that you fry them. You fry wisconsin them. we like them unadulterated fresh off the cow that's the okay. way to eat them and you're a green bay fan i'm assuming. i love the packers okay. i love the badgers okay cool. on wisconsin and Andrew Feldman, Democratic strategist, founder of Feldman Strategies. I know you're a New England Patriots fan. I guess congratulations. Oh, I appreciate that. That's big for you, from you. I mean, listen, I'm a fair guy. I mean, I'm just saying I'm not a Patriots fan. And I think we should move on. <laughs> We're going to talk about how we first met oh. later on in the oh, show. later on. Okay. That's a little tease. That's a little tease. Um, but let's talk trade talk. Let's talk the U.S.-China 
trade talk uh, because it, this is pretty. This is a big deal, Maddie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you being a, a financial services wonk like mm-hmm. me, I dork out over this stuff. Exactly. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, as well as U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer, they're off to go meet with Chinese Vice Premier Liu Hua mm-hmm. in Beijing as they negotiate what they're hoping will be some type of framework agreement. Uh, and it has the business community a little uneasy about mm-hmm. how these trade negotiations are going. Between us, well, and not everyone listening in their cars, uh, I-, I think that the president has been pretty positive with President Xi Jinping of China. Yep. And has kind of been forecasting a bit more positively than he has against <laughs> Democrats and even in some cases Republicans. I want to play for you what President Trump had to say earlier today about the U.S.-China trade deal. Take a listen. We have a big team of people, very talented people, over in China right now uh, negotiating on the China deal. It's going along very well. We'll see what happens. Sounds like he's, he'd rather negotiate with President Xi than Speaker Pelosi. Well, I think that's probably true. However, the most significant movement on U.S.-China trade happened this week when President Trump, in that uh, spray in the office, in the Oval Office, when he was talking about the shutdown, said very briefly that, listen, March 1st, I might delay the deadline for the tariffs to go that go into effect. They're supposed to go up to 25% from 10%. He finally admitted that they will potentially be delayed. And I have been saying to clients for the past several weeks that this is what victory looks like. The president has talked really big picture about what he wants from China, concessions that are just ma- are huge are huge in an order of magnitude. Having delay on March 1st means that there's progress, and that would be a, a very positive signal to market watchers that massive. we can get somewhere. I mean, massive, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the March 1st deadline, and we were talking about, we've been talking about the March 1st deadline virtually every day yep. uh, on, on television as well as on, on this program. And what's so interesting about that is that the business lobby is out in full Force. Well, listen, this is why we're up. Look at the indices up yesterday and today. Everyone was saying it was because we got positive news about the shutdown. No, it's not. Nothing the to do with the shrugged, shutdown. Market shrugged yeah. over the shutdown. This had to do with President Trump saying what everyone wanted to hear, which is that March 1st could not potentially be a, a horrific deadline. Let's let's dive into March 1st, right? Let's, let's talk about what that means. The president in his public comments, as well as his tweets, uh, as well as in his in his recent interviews to Bloomberg, as well as to other outlets, had said that on March 1st, he was considering raising tariffs 10 to 15, in some cases 20 to 25 percent, on $267 billion worth of additional Chinese imports. This relates to everything from the toy industry to electronics to... This is the consumer stuff. For the, the, consumer the first stuff. tranche of tariffs, this... Uh, in the in the spring was really targeted on items that consumers wouldn't feel in the prices right away. If these tariffs go into effect on March 1st, that's going to be a different story. And so for him to say that he might delay this, and let's take a look at the calendar, because around March 1st, the president's going to be in, in – uh, and help me out. Vietnam. Vietnam. I'll I'll be there. Uh, Great. (laughs) Yeah. But in Vietnam, negotiating with North Korea dictator Kim Mm -hmm. Jong-un. So the volatility around that, and actually we've seen in real time how markets, global markets have responded to the negotiations on nuclear disarmament and whatnot. So you don't want to have a situation where President Xi and President Trump are going uh, back and forth when he's also negotiating with with a a dictator. Uh, Not for nothing, Kevin. On March 1st, the uh, debt limit technically expires as well. Andrew Feldman, Democratic strategist. (laughs) Remember the debt limit? I actually forgot about that. (laughs) 
so, and, so and, many years ago. And markets markets do not shrug off a Correct. debt limit. That's why I raise it. He's going to no- probably just let that expire also. Well, and, and here's the thing. The Treasury, as it has done under the Obama administration and will do under the Trump administration, has extraordinary measures that will probably get us to the middle of summer before we actually have to deal I love with the that debt term. limit. I know I'm interrupting you, but every time I hear it, I'm like, I, every time I see like Secretary Mnuchin. smart for me on this stuff. If, I'm, just, like, I'm just sitting back no, over here. Oh, no, no, no. This is me nerding out. Like, this is like, you and Maddie. I, can, I, this is fun. This for us, is Andrew. I'm like dorky. No, but seriously, because but seriously, like extraordinary measures. Yeah. So Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin has to use extraordinary measures. This is like in math. The first time you learn about the imaginary numbers and you're yeah. like, what? now we've just moved but away. I wanna, from let's stay focused because I can't. I can never <laughs> stay focused. But March 1st, I mean, yeah. mark your calendars because mm-hmm. it's if you're looking at volatility, if you're trying to price this and what it means. And we did see some businesses start to factor in economic uncertainty mm-hmm. pertaining to the shutdown, but much more so on U.S.-China trade policy, as well as even on the debt limit. Yep. March 1st, that volatility is going to be huge. And the Treasury Secretary could punt, essentially, by using the the term that we were joking about, extraordinary measures, into the summer. Correct. So all of this stuff, whether we're talking shutdown or debt limit or even the president kicking back tariffs, it's just mm-hmm. a punt. Well, and this is when Congress comes back into into focus, too, because the debt limit will be attached to the Democrat written bu- budget in the House. Yep. And that means Nancy Pelosi is going to make some demands on increasing the debt limit, probably increasing that corporate tax rate now that we've had it cut back down. There's, uh, no, the way. There's no way they're going to. It's not going anywhere, yeah. but she's going to lay out a list of the things she wants in exchange for that debt limit going up because President Trump, of course, doesn't want to be left holding the bag on a debt limit expiring in the summer. And you know what? I think that this White House wants to have a tax fight around tax season. Coming up, we talk uh, much more about tax policy, including the state and local tax deduction, SALT. It's (laughs) going to get salty, Andrew Feldman, (laughs) Democratic strategist, Maddie Dupler, former Republican House Republican Coalitions Director for the Republican Conference and a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Remember, you can find the Sound On podcast on iTunes uh, or by um, Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. And check us out on Radio.com and on iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. How do you think they financed the tax cuts for the rest of the country? They took it from New York and the Democratic states. New York. New York. 
Welcome back, folks. I'm Kevin Sridley, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent. That was Governor Cuomo, Democrat from New York, from or I'm sorry, from New York, uh, talking about the state. Sorry, I'm not making fun of anyone's New York accent. Fun fact, I have a massive Philadelphia accent. Uh, but but anyway, he's talking about SALT, the state and local tax deduction. Maddie Dupler is senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Andrew Feldman is a Democratic strategist and founder of Feldman Strategies, my panel with us for the hour. Maddie, you're a tax wonk. Mm-hmm. You're a financial wonk. So state and local tax deduction yep. are our uh, – and why this matters mm-hmm. because when you put it in the context of – one, Republicans trying to continue to sell this this Republican tax plan. We were talking in the last segment about all of the volatility coming up uh, out of Washington that's reverberating not just on Wall Street but throughout the global exchanges in London and Asia as well. The, the, the government shuts down on Friday. It looks like that the president's going to sign this bipartisan deal. But then you were met, we were talking about March 1st, the potential for the president to maybe increase tariffs. It's looking like, against Chinese imports. It's looking like he's going to punt that a little bit. You got the debt limit fight coming up on March 1st. It's not all, Kevin. And salt. <laughs> that wasn't enough. Salt. So what, salt. how does salt factor into this? Okay, State so, and local tax deduction. So salt does not necessarily have a deadline. It does expire at the end of the five-year window Talk rather to us than first the 10-year. State is. and local tax deduction allows taxpayers to deduct that tax burden, so state and local taxes. So a lot of people living in high-tax states like New York, like, like New Jersey, California, Illinois, deduct their local property taxes from their federal tax yep. return. What this does, in effect, it allows governments governors like Governor Cuomo to raise taxes on their constituents because they deduct them. They don't pay them and it inoculates those politicians from those from feeling the wrath of what would normally be a high tax burden, which taxpayers tend not to uh, not to uh, be able to contemplate. Andrew Feldman, Democratic strategist, is shaking, shaking his head at his me, head. shaking his head at me. Tisk tisk. Those those deductions helps help so many people i mean it's just it's right just, you know who and they also, help? no no it allows the services governor cuomo and in these states to offer the services to the low income folks in the state and now instead we have a trump tax cut that is helping billions but, and the corporations but let me and, step I, and in I, here. I i gotta tell you it also has affected me because it's personal yeah no this is i <laughs> i literally talked to my accountant like four times this tax season and i said can I deduct this? Can I deduct this? Oh, no, no. Trump Trump got rid of that. Andrew, you know why that is? It's because you're a successful but professional. You make a lot of money. I got to jump in. I got to jump <laughs> but in. I, no, but, I, but that it is – it is completely wrong to take that away from, you know, these states. And it's completely targeted. I got to jump in here because this is what's so fascinating about the state and local tax deduction issue. We are diving in the weeds today. On Love the, it. On, on Valentine's Day Eve. What is fascinating is that you've got folks like – like everyone's divided on this. Republicans are divided on this. Suburban – truthfully, I think this is it's fascinating because it really comes down to suburban – districts, whether they are Republican or Democrats, being against President Trump on this versus more uh, other. I mean, you can say they're against President Trump, but they still voted for the tax cut that had this in it. Not all of them. Was it the New York Republican? We we lost like seven New York Republicans. And the tax cuts are so are extremely unpopular. And they also Uh, getting more popular, though, you'll notice as the year wears on. We also have seen the whole debate over the last few days on the tax returns, um, which. Oh, I would love to talk about the tax returns with you because this has been completely misconstrued. Wait, wait, wait. We're getting we're getting all over. But here's one point. 
I want to make on yeah. salt. Let's 80%, stick with salt. Uh, let's get salty, Andrew. The eighty percent of the people who claim <laughs> like the salt. Music for that. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of this tax deduction goes to high-income earners. 80% of the people who are claiming it make over $100,000 a year. So that's the problem. When you have Democrats coming out saying this is essential, we need to have this, these are the same Democrats who are arguing that the tax code needs to be more progressive. Well, taking this out of the tax code did exactly that. But the issue with salt is that, I mean, anyone know? I mean, if you live in New York City mm-hmm. and your salary in New York City right. or you live in Washington, D.C. or San Francisco, any city in America, really – you know, your rent in New York, it, I don't have the, the average rent off the top of my head, but I mean, it's it's significantly Absolutely. more than it is living uh, somewhere where, where rent is not but as But don't as much. you think And that's that... why I think there's this And, and also you're going to get and, – and, and the trigger where you're going to get benefit out of the tax bill – you know, is you're not going to hit it, but you're going to get hurt by you're going to have it say in New York over ten thousand dollars in deductions very quickly. Well, what, yeah, what uh, Andrew is saying more. is there's a cap on the salt tax yeah. deduction. Right. We forgot to mention that it wasn't ta- it wasn't taken away. It was capped at ten thousand dollars. But for states like California and and New York, it Let basically was taken away. Because where there's a will, there's a way, especially mm-hmm. for a loophole. So how are folks getting around this, Maddie? Well, I think that my advice to them would be to move out of New York, California, New Jersey, and Illinois. Live somewhere with a tax burden is much more equitable. But listen, I would rather, to your point about suburbs and the cities being expensive, I'm a city gal, but I want to live somewhere where public policymakers are exposed to the consequences of their decisions. And that means not inoculating them from increasing taxes on their constituents. They need to stand up for those decisions. They think they're the right ones to make. All right. We have, like, literally covered it all in the weeds. We're going to come up for fresh air. Coming up, we're going to talk about the environment. How was that for a team? We've already we've debated that today this green. morning. Oh, uh, well, yeah, well, good. It was just a warm-up for, for what's coming up. Uh, with Maddie Duppler, a, the former Coalition's Director for the House Republican Conference and a tax wonk at the National Taxpayers Union, and Andrew Feldman, Democratic strategist and founder of Feldman Strategies. Remember, folks, Download us on our podcasts on Apple iTunes or Bloomberg.com and get the Bloomberg Business app. I'm obsessed with that app. It's, it's an amazing app. The Bloomberg Business app, you can track all of the wonky news and Wall Street news all over the world. And you can find us on Radio.com and the iHeart Radio app. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back, folks. Happy Valentine's Day Eve. If you're driving home from work, do not forget that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Make sure you get that card or chocolate or gift for your loved ones. Don't forget. Do not forget tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Uh, I'm Kevin Cirilli. Uh, We are joined by an all-star panel today to help navigate through a very busy news cycle. Maddie Tupler is senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference. Andrew Feldman is a Democratic strategist and founder of Feldman Strategies. We're talking about the shutdown and how the lawmakers have to get some type of deal by Friday to keep the government open. The big news today is that President Trump signaling that he's begrudgingly, though it could change on a tweet, is likely going to sign this deal while also pursuing other avenues to get more money for the wall. The deal that's being presented to him by the conference committee, the bipartisan group of lawmakers, does not give him the amount of money that he wants for that wall. Uh, We're also following U.S.-China trade talks. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin is over in Beijing with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer meeting with Chinese, trying to get to a negotiation deal 
The president has threatened to raise tariffs uh, against a host of different Chinese imports by March 1st. He's signaling in the past 48 hours he's willing to punt that deadline. Then we started talking about tax policy, which is always fun for me because, well, I'm a nerd. But uh, Andrew Feldman, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the news cycle. Always is in the Trump era. Well, I mean, I was struck by this, that the FEMA FEMA administrator is is actually – Resigning, Brock Long, the Federal Emergency Management Agency Director, Brock Long, he announced earlier today that he's going to resign. I'm never surprised when someone uh, in the Trump administration resigns. Um, but also, we have to remember that this, uh, the FEMA spotlight on FEMA over the first two years of Puerto this Rico. presidency has been a disaster. Puerto Rico and the recent cuts to Puerto Rican aid, it's just been terrible. Well, remember the thing about uh, Brock Long was that he was under scrutiny for misusing public vehicles for ta- traveling down to North Carolina, which is where he's from, using taxpayer-funded uh, <clears throat> excuse me, cars and that kind of thing, which to me is just so tacky. Stop doing this. Politicians of all stripes, stop doing this. You're not here to take a joyride on the taxpayer dime. And if it's ultimately the thing that brings you down, like, was it worth it? Was it really? That free ride. That's basically what brought Doug Gansler, a Democrat, Doug Gansler, down hey, in the hey, hey. governor's race. He had a free ride. That was Got a good it? joke. Hey. Thank you. That was a really good joke. Um, another big story that I'm... Went I've over been, my head. No, like a free ride. Like, he literally had a free ride. And that brought him down. Got it? A no. patriot. Okay. A uh, patriot. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't get it. Um, the House voted. The House voted earlier today to end American military assistance for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. This is, I was struck by this. Yeah, and it kind of flew under the radar too. Yeah, which massively. I think. Well, you know, that's kind of the 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 short shrift that foreign affairs gets nowadays. Now yeah. they've got so much domestic news. Um, but I am excited to see Congress retaking the reins on its constitutional responsibility to sign off on international conflict. The vote was two hundred and forty-eight to one hundred and seventy-seven, and and what it does is it condemns the four-year conflict in Yemen. And really, a lot of people it, not voting then in those numbers. Yeah, a lot of people not voting. <laughs> Good math. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it really shows the situation and the U.S. ties with Saudi Arabia, which are which Saudi Arabia is, is a crucial geopolit- at, at, at the center of really geopolitics for U.S. foreign policy, as well as U.S. Israeli policy in many ways, as the Saudis have trended more favorably toward Israel in recent years, even predating the Trump administration. But with the backdrop of the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, it really – the, the Washington Post journalist, right. it really is fascinating, Maddie, to, to see how lawmakers in both parties, not just the more libertarian-leaning conservatives, mm-hmm. have spoken out against against the Saudis. But I think they're going to be able to recover I in think the long term. The Saudis themselves? In the long term. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing to me is that I think there's a lack of political pressure domestically on politicians of both stripes to really take a stand on foreign affairs. And that's everything. We'll see with Israel. It's getting a little more attention now, and that's always kind of a flashpoint uh, for politicians. But these kinds of debates have been happening on the Hill and pretty much nowhere else. They don't happen in the public square anymore. Uh, constituents don't really go to their lawmakers expecting them to take a stand on a number of issues. I don't think that it's really a vote-moving issue for a lot of voters. But it's also fascinating that President Trump was rebuked again on this. He has said nothing to condemn uh, in any real sense of the word the Saudis over Khashoggi. I get that. I mean, it's just – I don't think it's on his radar either. Well, I I mean, here's what – I mean, according to the sources that I talk with at the White House, I mean – I, and Democrats, I think you would agree that that I think 
you can you can have multiple views on this. You can denounce the Saudis for the senseless killing of Jamal Khashoggi and also realize the importance that Saudi Arabia plays in the Middle East and Absolutely, yeah. but he didn't even denounce I just want to be more I want to go into the weeds right, a little bit. But he more. did but when you yeah. if we really want like he he did not even denounce very, very brief you know Barely touched on denouncing Khashoggi and ignored CIA intelligence. You got to remember what Saudi Arabia means to this administration, though. This administration looks at the region and they see Iran and everything they want to do relates to what they're going to do on Iran. And so for them, Saudi Arabia was their partner in the region in that fight. And the Khashoggi stuff happened exact, almost exactly the same time that sanctions were about to come back into effect on Iran. And it really foiled the United States plan in terms of using them as a partner in that debate. I, I want to stick with foreign policy. But I want to touch on uh, Congresswoman Ilan Omar, the Democrat from Minnesota, who's really like under a lot of scrutiny right now because of her anti-Semitic tweet uh, from a couple of days ago. Well, earlier today, she engaged in this back and forth uh, with special en- envoy to Venezuela, Elliot Abrams, and accused the diplomat of being a liar. This is according to the Hill newspaper and pressed him on his involvement in the Iran-Contra affair. I missed the hearing. I didn't see the whole thing, but you didn't I, miss this viral. Well, I saw the I saw <laughs> these clips out of it, and so uh, my question was: At what point did the congresswoman actually address the witness about the reason that they were there? Did they ever get down to? She com- said, "Direct quote: I wasn't asking a question." It, right. So it, she was trying to make a point, Andrew. At what point does Speaker Pelosi say enough is enough, and she's off at the Foreign Affairs Committee? I don't think that's going to happen. Why? I mean, I because I think we're in a new age in, in politics. But right? Was, this, but wait, but this, Steve King, a Republican from Iowa, when he made racist, completely racist, racist remarks, Republicans stripped him of his committees. Sure, and, and I'm serious. I, I, I'm I not think trying that to play no, no, no. I, I think though, but I think that Steve King's remarks over the over the years, over decades, are actually worse than what she's saying. I mean, I think that I think that when you look at this, yes, what. Was she wrong? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm someone who is very critical of Netanyahu's policy as a Jewish American, but I think that she's gone a step too far. That doesn't mean that she's gone Steve King level. All right. And, of course, AOC. Did you guys follow this? Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, says he wants to have a vote Let's do it. on the Green New Deal. Andrew, he's trying to say everyone should have uh, he, wants, he wants to see I'm, I'm glad that, that Senator McConnell is finally bringing something to vote in the, in the Senate. I think we should have a vote on this. I mean, because I don't think that we – if Democrats vote no because they don't feel like what the legislation is is what they want, they can still have their own position on the Green New Deal. And it's very important to bring this conversation to light because this is something we've been ignoring for far Not too long. Not a slow news day at all, my friends. <laughs> Andrew Feldman, we have known each other since I covered the Jerry Sandusky trial – and you were representing Jay Paterno, which was Joe Paterno's son, who was going to run for Congress but didn't file the paperwork. And, and lieutenant governor. That and lieutenant governor. Of, the three-week right. campaign, and I was really hoping for your Politico story, and then he had to drop out. And well, it was... I used to work at Politico, as we all know, uh, but here I am today. Uh, Valentine's Day tomorrow. What's everybody doing? Dang. Feldman, are you, I feel like you're, you're a hopeless romantic at well, heart. I, I try to be. But can we, can we, can we ask a real question? Can I ask a real question? Yes. What should I get my, my first Valentine's Day 
with my wife. Oh, and, wow. We have uh, less than uh, a for, minute, too. Yes, you I should need, give, her, give her time to herself. That is what every busy <laughs> wow. woman in D.C. wants. I want a, a massage or a facial and just an hour where no one's going to call my phone. Should I send flowers to, should I send flowers yes, to her Yes, send office? flowers and say, and, and you know what else? Give her a subscription to the Apple iTunes so she can download <laughs> oh, yes. Sound On. Thank you to the panel, a Democratic strategist, Andrew Feldman, and of course, Maddie Tupler, uh, the former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference and a senior fellow at National Taxpayers Union. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Check us out cross-platform. Thanks for listening. You're, tomorrow, we're going to have more on the shutdown. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.